The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, it is Thanksgiving week. Thanksgiving week. Listen, don't forget uh, what Thanksgiving. We're going to get to this in a little bit. I'm going to do, uh, gosh, you know, every Thanksgiving, it just makes me miss Rush Limbaugh more. Um, and those of you who listen to Limbaugh, uh, which I'm sure most of you did, uh, you know, every Thanksgiving, he would do the story of Thanksgiving. And I'm going to do a brief uh, story. I'm not going to get into, uh, I, we just don't have three hours today to do what Rush Limbaugh used to do. So I can't do it justice, but I will pay tribute to Rush Limbaugh and, and kind of do uh, a, a little bit of what this, uh, of the Thanksgiving story, the true story of Thanksgiving, uh, like he did. Um, I like doing this every Thanksgiving because uh, I just, you know, I miss Rush Limbaugh. So you'll have to indulge me. Um, but it is Thanksgiving week. Now, it'll be more expensive than the previous Thanksgivings, thanks to the dementia patient in the White House, um, who apparently doesn't know. Uh, I, You know, I, I tried to watch what he did the other day when he was pardoning. You know how they always pardon turkeys and things like that. But uh, I, I don't even I'm not so sure Biden knew where he was. But uh, but anyway, folks, listen, it's a time. It, it's a good week. It's a fun week. It's a time for family and friends. It's a time to um, at least on Thursday. Try to let politics go. Try to let the tribalism go. Um, enjoy what really matters in life and, and appreciate things. So when you're, when you're together Thursday with your friends and your family and, and, and people that you care about, uh, just remember what's most important. Way more important than politics. God, family, and friends. Way more important than politics. So, so don't let, look, I, I think it's great if you have discussions. I think it's great if you sit around and listen to the On Point with Victor show on Thursday. <laughs> that might be a good thing. I have a way to bring people together. I do. I do. It's just a talent. Um, you might want to thank uh, our veterans and those that are serving on active duty absolutely. and won't be with their families. Yeah, that's a good uh, point, David. And they, uh, they're they there serving us. And mm-hmm. Right, and they keep do them it. in your prayers, and keep Israel in your prayers. A hundred percent, absolutely. They're still fighting. Uh, you know, the terrorists won't take a break on <laughs> on our holiday. <laughs> but uh, now, David's right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that's another thing to give thanks for and appreciation for uh, on Thursday is uh, all the veterans. Just think about it. Think about when you're sitting there enjoying whether you're watching football or you're outside playing football or you're um, you know going to do what I'm going to do and shoot lots of guns and things like that. Um, just remember there are veterans out there in the trenches. I mean, there there are veterans out there doing the things that need to be done to keep our country safe. Um, even I know I know we have a dementia patient in the White House and I know we've got some really, really just moronic people that are running the show, even at the Pentagon. But we still have to support the men and women in uniform. They have to take orders. They've got to do what they've got to do. And it doesn't matter, uh, unfortunately, uh, who their commander in chief is. They've, they've got to do what, what they're there to do. And, and they know that. Um, so it's just, it, even times like this, when we have somebody like a dementia patient that's running things, uh, well, his puppet masters are running things. And when you have a politicized Pentagon and, and when you have the, so much of the brass that, that wants to, 
kiss the establishment's rear nether regions, that um, it's even more of a time to appreciate what the veterans have to do and what they have to put up with. So, <laughs> but, uh, but I, all right, let's, uh, I got to move on. I want to get, um, we got a lot to get, I'm going to try to get to today, folks. We're even going to get to some candidate talk. Um, we've got to talk about 2024. Um, the polling, ladies and gentlemen, I, 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 look, we're a year out. We're a year out. Um, I mean, we're actually, we're less than a year. Uh, I mean, um, we're going to know a year from now who will be the person that kicks the dementia patient out of the White House. Who will be the person that sends uh, Joe Biden to the retirement home where he belongs? I mean, Joe Biden turned 108 years old yesterday. Ladies and gentlemen, watch this man try and move around. Watch what the Democrats do for this the entirety of this next campaign. Um, if if Joe Biden is still the, the candidate, um, how they I mean, they even got an operation called Operation Bubble Bubble Wrap where it is the goal of the people around Biden to protect him from and let me let me explain to you what this means it's not that they're going to protect him from falling or stumbling or saying something stupid or or forgetting where he is they're not going to be able to do that but what their job is to do is to try to hide it from you their job under bubble wrap Whatever the, 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 what's it called? Bubble wrap policy, whatever they're doing. Their operation bubble wrap. The job of everyone around Joe Biden is to hide his situation, to hide the, the, his mental instability. Their job is to hide it from you, the American citizen. Not only did they hide the January 6th tapes, and oh boy, have you gone out. Look folks, if you haven't gone out, look, those tapes are released. Um, the Speaker of the House, who promised that if he if he were elected the Speaker of the House, he promised that he would release these tapes, and he did. He released these tapes over the weekend. Go take a look at some of them, and you tell me if it looks like an insurrection. I mean, you, you, listen, your politicians, your elected officials, the bureaucracy that is Washington wanted to hide these tapes from you. Why? The biggest reason, and I will tell you, I'm not even going to let you guess. I'm just going to tell you. The reason they want to hide the tapes from you is because if you see what really went on inside the Capitol, what 98% of it was, was peaceful or 99% was peaceful. When you see what was going on in the, in the Capitol, it destroys their narrative. It destroys the Democrat and establishment Republican narrative right out, blows it right out of the water. But bigger than that, it allow, if you are allowed to see the tapes, then you for yourself can make the comparison of what Antifa and BLM and Democrat voters, what they've been doing when they're burning down buildings, they're tearing down statues all over this country. They're attacking the Capitol. They were cl- trying to get over the fence. They were throwing paint. They're, they're defacing whatever they can in Washington, doing actual damage. See, if you see the January 6th tapes and you see people fist bumping the law enforcement and you see law enforcement leading people in lines like they were on a tour, I, I mean, that's what the majority of what was going on inside that Capitol. Now, I know it was some bad, some, a few bad things went on and there were some bad people and they did stupid, stupid things. They shouldn't have gone in the Capitol, but, but the ones who did, the most of them were walking through. They didn't destroy anything. And if you see those tapes, you can make the comparison for yourself. What they called an insurrection were people walking through and being, being guided through the Capitol and fist bumping law enforcement. And when law enforcement said, Hey, it's time to go, most of them went peacefully. And you compare that to what you're seeing with Antifa, what you're seeing with the Biden voters, what you're seeing with Democrat voters, what you're seeing with the bureaucracy, uh, the, the, the people who support the bureaucracy in Washington, what you're seeing Antifa, BLM, and all these groups do. 
They destroy statues. They destroy and deface property. They actually attack the Capitol. They're actually burning buildings down. They do all these things, and it's right there for us to see. But somehow that's not an insurrection. But somehow people walking peacefully through a Capitol is an insurrection. It's pretty crazy, folks. You can see that for yourself. You can see that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today, but you can go look at it for yourself. So, um, <clears throat> But anyway, all right, folks, speaking of Thanksgiving week, and, and I mentioned this already. Um, I, I, I dearly miss Rush Limbaugh and I know a bunch of you guys do too. And, and, and so I, I want to go ahead and jump right into this. I want to do a, an abbreviated story, the true story of Thanksgiving in the, in the name of Rush Limbaugh and in an honor, in an honor of Rush Limbaugh, what he used to do because my goodness, we miss him and how much do we need Rush now? How much do we need him now? We really do, especially at this time of Thanksgiving when only he could deliver the story the way he, as good as he, he could. Um, so I can't do it justice, but I'm going to do my best, folks. I'm going to do my best. Um, but before I get to that, before I get to that, and yes, this is the On Point with Victor show. I am Victor Armendariz, the Mexican not afraid to work on Thanksgiving. <laughs> the Mexican not afraid to appreciate and love and give thanks for the country that is the United States. Not afraid to do it, folks. Not afraid. Uh, and I, yes, I, I'm here in studio. And my apologies to last week. I couldn't be here last week, folks. I was, I had to go to Knoxville. I was in Knoxville, Tennessee. And let me tell you, I did not plan this, but I was there when the Georgia Bulldogs arrived to play a football game against the Tennessee, I believe, Volunteers. Um, UT versus UGA. And, and my gosh, folks, you do not want to be in Knoxville when that happens. I I, I got to see so much uh, football fans and football this and football that. And uh, it was crazy. It was crowded. It was it was pretty nuts. And I got out of there uh, just in time. Uh, but anyway, it, it was really neat. It was neat to see. And, uh, and from my understanding is I think Georgia beat Tennessee, so I'm glad I was gone before that happened, and back here in Georgia. But uh, but uh, but yeah, folks, look, we're here. We're here this week. We don't get to take this week off. We here at America's Web Radio, at least here, my uh, me, uh, I uh, I am not high enough on the totem pole to take this week off. So I'm here working, and thankfully, the legend Dave and producer Brett that they don't mind working this week either. So we could bring you this live show. Uh, so all right. Let's move on. So, well, before I get to the story, let me, I do want to say this. I do want to say this. I, I, I hope that most of you can drop your tribalism for a little bit and, and, and understand that, um, we lost Rosalind Carter. Rosalind Carter, uh, passed away, uh, yesterday, the wife of, uh, former President Jimmy Carter. Now, I know, um, most of us, myself included, uh, do not agree with just about anything that the Carter administration did. Uh, in fact, um, He's probably happy right now because uh, he used to be known as the worst president, and now it's Biden by far, by far. Uh, but but I, Rosalind Carter was was an accomplished and amazing lady. She really was. Um, she was a very nice person. She was a godly person. Um, she just I, I I know David I know, but I I know I my family knew her or some of my family knew her, and why she was no one is perfect. I, I just I look. She passed away. She she was a neat lady, and and that's all I want to say is let's 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 drop some tribalism. Let's drop the where everyone has to be against everyone, and just acknowledge that 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 family lost somebody that was near and dear to them. So that's all I'm gonna say. All I'm gonna say. All right, let's move on. Let's get to the story of Thanksgiving. Um, 
I, I, now Rush Limbaugh did this every year and he did a great job. So awesome. So awesome. So, and if you ever want to hear Rush Limbaugh, you can find this on the internet. You just got to look it up and you can hear him give the story. But, uh, but I want to do it in honor of Rush Limbaugh and, and that it is Thanksgiving week, Thursday being Thanksgiving. I want to do just an abbreviated story real quick. Um, just to, just to, to remind people what, what is the true meaning of Thanksgiving? Because they're not being taught in school. Now, you've heard me talk about this before. The, the, the government educate, the biggest problem in this country right now is if we didn't have enough problems at all. But, but the, the, the problem that, that allowed us to get to the point we are today, to, to get to where we have students that are standing with terrorists. We have students in colleges all over this country that are cheering and, 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 and holding up flags for, for terrorists and calling for the genocide of the Jewish people. We have college students doing that right now. We have professors doing that right now. It's, it's ridiculous and I never thought I would see it in this country but that's what we're seeing but we only got to this point because of government education we got to this point because we allow the federal government to have their tentacles all over the schooling of our children and at some point ladies and gentlemen that's got to stop if you didn't learn when COVID happened how bad the government schools are for your children and look I understand not everybody can send their kids to a private school not everybody can homeschool I understand that. But what you can do is get involved in your local school. You can get involved and start voting out your school boards and start voting out your city councils, and you can take control of your school, and you can start kicking the federal government out of them, and you can make sure your local schools are under the control of your local municipality, the local parents, because that's who should be in control of schools. And you can start throwing out your representatives who don't believe in school choice. If you, I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat. I, you know, Democrats don't support school choice, but unfortunately, there are some establishment Republicans that don't support school choice. If you find a politician that does not support school choice, you throw them out of office. Find someone else. Find a libertarian. Find an independent, or get your butt to work in the primaries, and you find a good conservative Republican that will do the job that needs to be done. But number the number one thing, uh, there's a lot of things that need to be done in this country to fix this country. But we've got to start with the school system. We have to decouple the federal government from the schools. We have to. There's nothing wrong with having a public school, but there's a big problem with government schools. And right now we don't have public schools. We have government schools. And that's got to change because if it doesn't. We're going to keep pumping out um, little minds of mush and, and useful idiots that are marching around college campuses calling for the deaths of a complete entire country of people known as Israel. Actually, they want to go beyond Israel. They just want to take out all the Jews. They want to take out all the Jewish people. I mean, that's pretty messed up. Did you ever think we would start to see this crap again? And that's what we're seeing now. And a lot of it is to do, is due to our poorest, poorest. Listen, I saw... There's a great comparison video out there, and you can find it on social media. It's a perfect example of the of schools, our government schools. Because what it shows, it shows, I believe, uh, schools in Japan, maybe China, uh, and other parts of, you know, uh, let's say, let's face it, it was in the Asian world where they were showing these pictures. And these students were, I mean, they were in elementary school, and they're computing math. I mean, they're doing math problems, math problems, math. I mean, it's, it's a, no calculator. They're just calculating math problems at the speed of a, a, a I mean it, it was pretty impressive and then they 
go to a video picture of government schools in our country. And you know what the school students are doing? The teachers jumping up and down and teaching them some song and they're throwing their arms. If, if they're not waving a, a, a gay pride flag or, or some transgender flag, they're jumping up and down singing some song and that they're doing everything but actually learning mathematics. I, folks, they're not even learning how to read anymore. Uh, you've got so many schools in this country now that are saying we don't need standards. We're going to drop standards. We're going to we're just not going to teach math because it's racist. I this I'm not this is not hyperbole. This is going on in this country. While you have students in Asia that are learning how to calculate without a calculator, we have students in our country who are learning the colors of the rainbow, not the good rainbow. <laughs> Look, nothing against lifestyles, but you don't need to be teaching this stuff to children in schools. Before they learn math, before they learn comprehensive, uh, comprehension, before they learn reading, writing, I mean, science. I mean, there's lots of things that they need to learn before they learn social justices <laughs> in the minds of a liberal Democrat. Um, okay. All right, folks. So you get my point. Um, what I'm going to tell you is, is just not taught in schools, in government schools. It's, it's just not. It's, it's that. So, all right. So we start Thanksgiving. So we start with a group of separatists. Uh, a few, the separatists were a few of people, uh, a few people who didn't want to put up with the authoritarian rule that, or way of life that they were living, um, under the rule of, uh, King James I in England. Um, so we're, we're going back to the 17th century, folks. So we've got to go all the way back to the 17th century over there in England where King's James, King James I was persecuting anyone and everyone, anyone and everyone who would, who was opposing, uh, the rule the authoritarian rule of the king there in England. So if, if you had your own religion and you were trying to, to, to worship, you couldn't do it because you had to denounce your religion and you had to, you had to, to, to worship the state, which was the monarchy. Um, that's what was going on back then. And those who challenged this authority, those who believed in freedom of worship were hunted down and imprisoned and killed, uh, or, or killed or imprisoned, uh, just because of what they believed. All right. So that that's so so once that a few people got tired of it, we had a group of separatists who didn't want to put up with it anymore, who picked up and fled and they didn't flee straight to the new world. They fled to Holland first. Uh, maybe some of you don't know this. Uh, they flew. They fled to Holland, not the new world. First, they went to Holland. They arrived in Holland, and after after trying on the latest wooden shoes and trying the best cheese around, because <laughs> you know back then they didn't have these wonderful um, shoes that I wear by um, Hoka's. Uh, no, they they just wouldn't. So anyway, all right. So they're they're there in Holland. They arrive in Holland, and after trying on the, those those sh- wonderful wooden shoes that I hear, uh, they were there for about eleven years. Uh, and during that 11 years, they were hearing about a new, the new exciting idea of a new world. They were hearing about the possible, if you went across the Atlantic, you'd run into a new world, an unfounded new world, a place where, where, where maybe, maybe you could set up a whole new idea of living. And, and so this put the idea in, in the separatist heads. So you had 40 of these separatists who agreed to make the arduous journey to the new world. So they spent 11 years in Holland. They heard about this new place, and they thought, you know what? Let's get together. Let's jump on a boat with some other people, and let's go across the Atlantic. Now, I say arduous journey because you and I just cannot comprehend what it meant for a bunch of people to get on a wooden boat that was maybe 50 feet and 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 sail across 
the Atlantic Ocean, not knowing what was on the other side, not knowing, just knowing and hearing that there was a land there that they were going to hit, hopefully. Hopefully they were going to hit. Um, I mean, it, it's just amazing. I, I, I don't even think you can really comprehend the, 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 the hardship that these people imposed on themselves just to escape, uh, a, a ruling class so they could get to a place and, and start their own type of, 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 let's just say community. Uh, so now pause for, uh, and, and well, we, we did that. <laughs> so <laughs> sorry folks, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, <clears throat> okay. And I want you to think about this. Now, remember, we're in the 17th century. We're in the 1600s. In the 1600s, when these people got on a little boat and uh, and and sailed across the Atlantic, um, I mean, imagine what those people. Can you even try and think of what those people would 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 think if they knew we had jet travel? <laughs> I mean, not just engines on a boat or or big old aircraft carriers and things like that, or cruise ships. I mean, just, uh, it's just, I, I don't know, folks. I, I can sit back and think uh, hard and try and think of, of, of what it took to make that decision to get on a wooden boat and come across the, uh, an ocean knowing that the weather, you don't know what the weather's going to do and then hoping that you hit this place of this new land that people talked about. I mean, they didn't even know it was there for sure. But you know what? The desire to live in freedom, the desire to worship how they wanted to worship, that trumped any hardship, trumped any hardship for that kind of hardship would be worth it. The outcome would be worth it. So these 40 programs led by a man named William Bradford. Look him up. If you don't know enough about William Bradford, look him up. Look him up because you need to know about him. Um, really, really incredible. He wrote a journal about the whole trip. So go go learn about this stuff. Do a duck, duck, go search, though. If you do a Google search, they'll give you re- revisionist history. Uh, do a duck, duck, go search, and you'll learn all about William Bradford. So. Uh, they board the Mayflower and they cross the Atlantic. Imagine how scary that must have been. Imagine. On this journey, William Bradford, he wrote what they, what became known as the Mayflower Compact. The Mayflower Compact, which was basically rules of which the pilgrims would live by. It was just, it was equal laws for all the members of their community. And, and when they got to the New World, this is how they would live. Now, if you're wondering, if you're wondering where they got the ideas for these laws, if you're wondering what, what law, what basis of law did, did, did William Bradford use to come up with a Mayflower Compact? What basis was it? Well, it was the Bible. It was the Bible. You see, the pilgrims were very, very devoutly religious people. Uh, I don't care what they tell you in your government school. They were devoutly religious people. They looked to the ancient Israelites for much of their examples. Because of their faith in God, they never doubted that they wouldn't make it to the new world. It was that faith that they had and the devout to the religion that they had that they knew. They knew they would arrive to the to the new world. They knew they would thrive. They knew this because of their faith. So understand that. Understand because if you can fathom the risk and the hardship and, and the just the terrible things that they were going to experience on this journey – Understand it was because of their faith that gave them the strength to do it. Uh, I mean, that's huge, folks. That's huge. So now, if you don't believe me, check with your local school. Check with your local government school. I guarantee you they're not teaching this. <laughs> go ahead. If you've got the courage to check, go check. So, All right. So they made the uh, just a most difficult trip uh, across the Atlantic and arrive in New England. 
And they arrived in November. So it was bad enough that they had to make this arduous journey across the Atlantic. When they got to the New World, it was November. Now, I don't know if any of you have been to to New England, that area, in November or December or January, but it's pretty darn cold. I checked today, folks. I checked. In New England today, the the weather feels like 22 degrees. It's freaking cold. Now, imagine arriving. You land on this land. It's the most desolate land you've seen because there's no buildings. There's no hotels. There's no inns. There's no construction going on. There's no no place of shelter. Only the trees above your head because it's a desolate place that they land. And it's cold. I mean, it's freezing. There was probably snow on the ground. Um, imagine, imagine after that long, long trip across the Atlantic, they land in the dead in the beginnings of winter in New England. I mean, folks, it, this was not easy for the pilgrims. It was not easy. Um, so just think about that. Think about being landing there with no shelter. Now we know this because William Bradford kept a very descriptive journal. And I'm telling you folks, you can look this up and look at what he wrote in his journals. Pretty, pretty darn impressive. It's amazing. It's amazing to learn about what the pilgrims did and what they learned and how they learned it and the sacrifice they made. So, all right. So in this first winter, half of the pilgrims died. Half of them died, including William's wife. They died because of the exposure of elements, starvation and sickness. All those things took their toll on, on these pilgrims. But then, then, Spring arrived. Spring arrived. And the pilgrims met. Who did they meet? They met the Indians. They met the indigenous people, the, the Native Americans, uh, the Indians. <laughs> How many ways can I say it? <laughs> so they, they met the Indians. And the Indians, it is true, folks, and they will teach this in school. The pilgrims, di- the uh, Indians did show the pilgrims. They showed them where the beavers were so they could make clothing and make uh, blankets. They showed them where, uh, how to grow corn. They showed them where the fish were and how to fish. I believe they did a lot of, it was a lot of cod fishing back then. So they, the Indians showed them how to do this. Yes, the Indians helped the pilgrims. But that's not where the story ends, folks. That's usually where the government school ends and then they start doing their revisionist history because they don't want to tell you what came next. They don't want to tell you what comes next. They just want to stop and tell you that the Indians taught the pilgrims everything and that it, the story ended there and the pilgrims thanked the Indians. But that's not where this story ends. That's not the complete story of Thanksgiving. Now, David, do we need to take a break? Or should I just keep on going? We'll keep going. Special Thanksgiving. Thanks. Thank you to uh, Legendary Dave. So, folks, that's not the end of the story. Yes, the Indians helped the pilgrims. They helped them that first spring. They showed them how to how to grow corn and more corn, and they showed them how to fish and um, showed them where the beavers were so they could make warm clothing. But there's much more than that. You see, Thanksgiving was a devout expression of gratitude by the pilgrims to God for their survival. You see, making it through the first winter was unbelievably hard on them. They lost half their people. They lost half their community. So when spring arrived, and yes, they met the Indians, and yes, the Indians helped, but Thanksgiving is not just about, wasn't just about them thanking the Indians. While yes, they did thank the Indians, but Thanksgiving was really a devout expression of the gratitude the pilgrims had for the blessings that God gave them and the survival that they were able to, to the surviving they were able to do to make it to that first spring. 
That's the part right there, folks. That's a big part right there. The government schools purposely leave out or they rewrite because they don't want you to know this. Now, I'm going to get to another part they don't want you to know. You see, the pilgrims, they couldn't afford to leave Holland and go to the New World. They didn't have that kind of money. So they had merchant sponsors. They had merchant sponsors from London, from Holland. Uh, that's how they afforded to make this journey. So these merchant sponsors, they demanded that everything the pilgrims produced, they said, once you get to the new world, everything you produced will be placed in a common store or a single bank, if you, if you will. And each member of the pilgrim community will be entitled to one share. Each member of the community will be entitled to an equal share, an equal outcome, if you will. You see, folks, they got themselves a little commune that the merchants in London and the mer- and, and in Holland, these people who have been experimenting and playing with socialism uh, for for you know years before and still to this day, they're still playing with this socialism crap. It didn't work back then and it, it isn't going to work now. But back then, that's all they knew. That's all they knew. They they only knew dictatorship, monarchies, socialism. This is what they knew. This was even before uh, that. um Big useful idiot Karl Marx came around. What they knew was socialism. So the merchant sponsors who gave them the money and said, we're loaning you the money to get to the new world. But when you get there, everything you make, everything you produce must be put in a common place. So they basically set up a commune so that each member of the pilgrim community would be given an equal share, an equal outcome. So all the land that they cleared, all the houses that they built, all the food that they grew, all would be given, put in one store, one place, one bank, and the community would own it all, not the individuals. There would be no such thing as individual ownership. There was no concept of the individual. It was all community. It was all, I mean, listen, it sounds like today's uh, Democrat Party, doesn't it? Sounds like a bunch of authoritarian-type Democrat party members. <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. Um, but this this is what the way they set it up. So nobody owned anything. They just had an equal share of the commune. An equal share. Now, here's the part, ladies and gentlemen, you will not be told. Uh, you probably won't be told what I just told you, but you're definitely not going to be taught this in school. It didn't take long for William Bradford to see that this collectivism, this commune, this idea, they didn't know it was called. Well, maybe they didn't. I mean, I'm not sure what they called. They called it socialism or not. That I'll need to research. But they didn't. It did not take long for William Bradford, who was the governor over these pilgrims now at the New World. It didn't take long before he said this isn't working. This isn't working. And we know this. We know this because he wrote it in his journal. He, I mean, he wrote that what a mess this commune created, what a mess this idea of equal outcomes and equal uh, equal shares, what it would create. It created a laziness. It was destructive. It was costly. This, my friends, is the essence of socialism. Again, they may not have known it, but this was the essence of socialism. So William Bradford knew. He knew. I got to make a change or we're not going to survive. We will not make it through another winter if we don't make a change. So he made a bold, bold change. The only way they knew he knew he could survive is they got a change. So he made a bold change. Every family. So William Bradford said, okay, we're not doing this commune anymore. We're not doing this shared uh, crap anymore. We're not doing this equal outcome, equal shared stuff anymore. Every person, every family, I should say, sorry, every family was given an ownership of a plot of land. 
Every family was given ownership of a plot of land by William Bradford. And, and every family was able to do with that land what they wanted. They were free because as an individual, they owned that land. Now they own something. And it was up to them and what they wanted to do with that land. If they wanted to sit around, get fat and be lazy, then they could be fat and be lazy, but they weren't going to do it off, off their neighbor. They would have to do it themselves. So they could do whatever they want. So William Bradford unleashed the power of capitalism. He unleashed the power of the marketplace unknowingly. Unknowingly. They didn't know. Capitalism wasn't a word back then. They didn't know what capitalism was. They didn't know what the free market was. But that's what they unleashed. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, I will I will get through the rest of this. Don't you go anywhere. This is the On Point with Victor show. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. Attention veterans with PTSD. If you can't sleep at night, listen to A Veteran's Place, hosted by Dr. Don Moeller, at 10 a.m., every Thursday, for your answer to sleeping, here on the Veteran's Station, owned by a vet, with shows just for vets. AmericasWebRadio.com Are you a veteran of Desert Shield or Desert Storm? We do a show for you every Monday at 1 p.m. on veteran-owned, americaswebradio.com. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Unpoint with Victor Show. I am Victor Armendariz. This is the America's Web veteran-owned radio station. Uh, listen... So here we are, the pilgrims. They experimented with socialism, Marxism. They, they didn't know it, but that's what they were experimenting with, this commune, this idea of community, um, uh, this this idea of socialism, which which that's what the, the world was doing back then. And, and how crazy is it that the world is trying to do it again today? Absolutely crazy. And how sad is it that you've got members of Congress in our United States that want to and think that this is the way to go. This is the way to live. Our pilgrims even knew better than that in the 1600s. So, all right. So the pilgrims, they scrapped socialism early and instead they experimented with capitalism. Yes, capitalism. And it unleashed the power of the individual. Understand that it unleashed the power of the individual. It created incentive. You see what happens when you have incentive? Incentive will, will do wonders because that leads to prosperity. And it encouraged a work ethic and it taught the pilgrims a work ethic and what it meant to have and the value of having a work ethic. And then it showed them what prosperity could mean and what prosperity could lead to. So now William Bradford wrote extensively about the failure of, of their socialist commune. I mean, this is what's unbelievably not taught. Ladies and gentlemen, 
If this were taught in government schools today, if this had been taught uh, 10 or 20, 30 years ago, we wouldn't be where we are today. Maybe, maybe if this was taught over the last uh few decades, maybe we wouldn't be stuck with the dementia patient running this country right now or his whoever's controlling him running this country. We wouldn't be on this road to socialist crap. We wouldn't have some of these bozos elected to Congress. Just maybe, just maybe. I'm telling you, folks, look up. William Bradford wrote extensively in his journal about the failure of his socialist commune. He wrote that this community breeded confusion. It breeded discontent. And this, and in their words back then, this is the way they spoke. It retard, it put a retard on much employment. So basically what they were saying, it discouraged employment, it discouraged working and encouraged laziness. It encouraged young men of working age to not do anything, just to sit around and do nothing. That's what it encourages. That's what socialism to this day encourages. So why? Why work when you're guaranteed an equal share? William Bradford, back in the days of the pilgrims in the first community that landed in New England and developed there back in the 1600s, William Bradford realized that it didn't take long for him to realize socialism is not going to work. Equal share is not going to work. Equal outcomes is not going to work. Because why would you work if you were guaranteed an equal share of someone else's work. Hear me, ladies and gentlemen, hear me. Make sure your kids hear this because they're not going to learn it in schools today. Make sure they hear this. William Bradford of the Pilgrims understood. Why would you work? Why would young men work if they were guaranteed an equal share of someone else's work? That still applies today. When you find a Democrat that's telling you what all this um, wonderful, wonderful utopia ideas they're telling you, um, how we can live off other people's work, you ask them, how long will that last? Why would someone else work if they can enjoy the prosperity of someone else's work? If someone else can enjoy the rewards of, of another person's work and they don't have to do it, you don't think that's going to breed laziness? Well, William Bradford saw that it did breed laziness. He wrote about it in his journal back then, ladies and gentlemen, in the 1600s. Read it, folks. Read it. I mean, this stuff should be taught in school. I'm telling you. So Bradford unknowingly unleashed the power of capitalism because he said this, this, this equal outcome mess, this equal share stuff is not working. This commune is not working. We're going to change now, and every individual, every family will have a plot of land. You will do with that land what you please. If you want to prosper, you will prosper. If you want to build a business, you'll build a business. If you want to grow more corn, grow more corn. If you want to trade with the Indians, trade with the Indians. Trade with each other. Do what you can. You produce what you want to produce. Put your sweat equity in, and you will get rewarded for your sweat equity. And that's what happened. That's what happened. William Bradford unknowingly unleashed the power of capitalism. The principle of private property was born. The idea of the incentive to work was born. And Bradford said, this new system, this is what he said. This is what he wrote. This is what the new system made all hands industrious. It made all hands industrious. Much more corn was grown. Much more business. Everything started happening. Everything started growing in the right direction. And, the, and then the idea of profit was introduced. 
the idea of profit was introduced, the opportunity to prosper, and then the community went gangbusters. All of a sudden, the pilgrims worked. All hands became industrious. The families produced their on their land. They created the businesses they wanted. They created, they tried new things, and they traded with the Indians. They traded with the native population. And they earned money and wealth and were able to pay the merchants back for the money that they owed them. So after they created this prosperity, they set up more trading posts and traded more with the Indians. They were, and, and again, they paid back everything they owed to the merchants. So understand this point here. This is the point I want to make, and, and it's going to make some of the Democrats out there really mad. It's going to take some Demo- make Democrat voters and Democrat politicians really mad because they don't want you to know this. Understand the Indians, the native Indians, didn't teach prosperity to the pilgrims. The pilgrims figured that out through the failure of socialism. The pilgrims figured out prosperity through the failure of their experiment with a socialistic commune. The Indians didn't teach them that. They taught themselves that. They learned it the hard way. They figured it out through their own trials. They figured it out. The pilgrims did. So, yes, don't misunderstand me, please, because the Democrats and Media Matters, they will take me out of out of uh, context here. Do not misunderstand. Yes, the Indians, the Native Americans, they helped. Oh, sure, they did. Absolutely, they helped. They helped the pilgrims after that first winter. They taught them how to grow corn. They taught them how to fish. They they showed them where the beavers were so they could skin the beavers for their skin for warmth and use it for warmth. Yes, they did that. But the but the Indians, the Native Americans, did not show the pilgrims how to get to the point of prosperity that they got to. The prosperity, which which by the way, led to the Great Puritan Migration. Now, if you don't know about the Great Puritan Migration, look it up. Because when the pilgrims, when word of what the pilgrims achieved, when word got across the Atlantic back over to England and Holland and Europe of the prosperity that was going on in the New World by these pilgrims, well, then that kicked off the Great Puritan Migration. Everybody and their brother wanted to go to the New World and experience the idea of living in prosperity. Of, of, of owning something and, and providing for yourselves. That's what they wanted to take part in. And folks, there are people all over this world that are still trying to get to this country. Not because this country is racist. Not because this country is, is, is so called bigoted. No. They're coming here because this is still the only place on the planet that you can come and, and create whatever you want to create with the sweat equity that you're willing to put out to gain the rewards for your hard work. That can happen in this country even today, even though we've got a party of politicians who are trying to quell that American dream. They don't want you feeling that way. They don't want you thinking in terms of the individual. Now, what a shame. What a shame. Because all it took to bring people to the new world was this idea of prosperity, which became the greatest country on the planet. So the lesson is, folks, the true story of Thanksgiving the true story that is William Bradford and his pilgrim community, they were thanking God for the blessings on their community after that first miserable winter. That's what they did for Thanksgiving. Yes, they thanked the Indians, but they thanked God for the blessings and for what they were able to do 
and and they were able to get through the the documented failure of their first attempt of of fairness and equality in the name of socialism it didn't work so they abandoned it and they moved to the individual idea of of owning property of having profits the idea of capitalism the idea of being prosper prosperous so so let me say this to all the government school teachers and Democrats before your heads explode. Let me say this again. Yes, the Native Americans, the Indians, the Indians, they helped. They gave them a, a lot of assistance to the pilgrims that first winter, after that first winter. The Indians were friendly. Yes, they were. Yes, they did. They taught the pilgrims to fish. They taught them to grow corn and, and to make clothing and, and, and out of the beaver hides and things like that. They did those things that 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 led pilgrims to be productive. But is the pilgrims through the failure of the commune, the failure of the idea of equal outcome, the failure of the idea of equal shares, the failure of the idea of socialism? That is what taught the pilgrims to pursue the idea of capitalism, to pursue the idea of individual ownership, the individual sweat equity. That is what the pilgrims learned. So. That's the story, folks. That's the story. Now, look, you can do a lot more research on your own. You can do a DuckDuckGo search, and you can read William Bradford's journal. You can read what he wrote. There was so much more that I'm not even getting into about that that arduous trip across the Atlantic, what happened on that ship with the other people. Look, there wasn't just 40 pilgrims on that ship. There were a bunch of people. There were 100 and some people on that ship. Um, the, 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 the trials and tribulations that went on for that trip, I'm not even getting into that. Look it up, folks. Look it up and read William Bradford's journal. And then I'm not even getting into everything and all the hardships that went on and the crops that they developed and everything that they did once they got to the new world. So read about it, folks. I just gave you a a brief synopsis. I gave you what the government schools will not teach your kids. So I hope, I hope you will teach your kids this. Okay. All right, folks, we got to move on a little bit now. If your kids are still listening, you might want to uh, cover the ears for a second. Uh, I, I, this is still a family show. I'm not going to get uh, uh, into bad language or anything, but I've got to give a report on Target. <laughs> and I don't know how clean I can make this, but the fools at Target, that idiotic CEO at Target, how that man still has a job, I don't know. Because you would have thought Target would have learned their lesson from a few months ago when they when they had the the transgender bathing suits and the devil clothes. <laughs> and if you don't know what I'm talking about, folks, listen, I, I'm not making this stuff up. Target contracted with a known clothing maker who worships Satan to make clothes. They brought those clothes into the, into the into Target. They did this a few months ago, and then their their profits plummeted. And you'd think they would have learned, but they did it. They did it. So now we're going into the Christmas season, and what is Target doing? What is Target doing? Well, according to Target, Santa Claus is gay. According to Target, Santa Claus is not a jolly old man in a red suit. He's a jolly old gay dude <laughs> in a rainbow suit. I Look, I am going to have fun with this, ladies and gentlemen. I am. And if you are of the gay lifestyle, you know, if you know me, you know I don't care. You should live the way you want to live. I am very libertarian when it comes to this. Uh, you do what you want to do as long as you're not hurting someone else or impeding someone else's pursuit of happiness. Um, uh, then in this country, you knock yourself out. But when you start pushing this stuff on the American people and you start pushing this stuff uh, and you get CEOs to start pushing this stuff through their company because you're promising all kinds of tax breaks, 
then you're going to pay the consequences when the American people just don't want to be forced into this mess. Uh, again, go live your life the way you want to live it. But I, I, I don't, I mean, Target's gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna learn another lesson here. I, I, I know it. I, I, I just, I cannot believe they're doing this. But, uh, but, uh, but according to Target, Santa's gay and, 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 uh, <laughs> he waves a, a, a pride flag. Uh, he doesn't, but I guess he doesn't carry his, uh, sack of toys anymore. He just, he just carries some pride flags and spreads cheer around. I, look, I, <laughs> I, I'm just amazed that he's doing that. And look, I, I, I like to report the news of the day and that is some pretty big news of the day. I can't believe they're doing that. So, <laughs> okay, folks. All right. Let's talk 2024, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, I just saw a headline. The, the cost of your holiday dinner, your Thanksgiving dinner cost is up 30 to 40% since Joe Brandon Biden, the dementia patient took office. That's how much up to 40% more it's going to cost you to feed your family and celebrate this Thanksgiving. And it'll probably be up a little more by the time we get to Christmas dinner. That's what's, that's what your Democrat party has done to you. Do you still want to vote Democrat? <laughs> you still, my, my black minority brother voters out there, <laughs> that didn't come out right. Uh, my fellow minority voters out there of the black and brown persuasion, do you still want to vote Democrat? Do you, you, you're paying more for everything. And I don't care how much the dementia patient and his minions are on air and his, his, uh, minion, uh, media, the state run media, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, all of them. I don't care how much they tell you. Oh my gosh, inflation's down. Inflation's not down, folks. The rate of increase is coming down, but it's still going up. Inflation is still high. Inflation's not coming down. The rate of increase is slowing down, but it's, it's still high. You're still, your dinner, your Thanksgiving dinner is going to cost up to 40% more since Joe Biden and his merry band of socialist Democrats, authoritarian Democrats have been in power. Now you, you let that sink in and then you tell me if you still want to vote for these people. I mean, I, I'm telling you folks. Now listen. We, we've got a primary for those of you who do, who are sick of Joe Biden. You're sick of what the Democrats have done. And you may not listen. I understand you may not be a Republican, uh, a person or a couple of Republican voter, but you might understand by now that you can't vote for the Democrats. So you're going to have to vote for the Republicans <clears throat> unless you go vote for uh, Kennedy or you go vote for, um, that. Oh my gosh. I don't remember that dude with the big hair. Um, I don't even know what he's running as, but he's another left wing wing bat. Um, You've got, I'm sure there'll be a Green Party candidate. Look, you'll have some choices. Uh, but I know there's a lot of you who, who, who are, who are in a predicament because you know Joe Biden is hurting you. You know Joe Biden and the Democrats are hurting your family. And you may have been told all your life, oh, you can't vote Republican. Well, you know what? You better get over it. Because the party that, that's, that's going to help you the most right now is the Republican Party. Now look, those of you who know me and listen to me, you know I've got a lot of problems with the establishment Republicans also. You know, I don't have a lot of guests on this show, or when I fill in for Eric, listen, when you hear a lot of fill-in hosts that fill in for the big guys like Eric Erickson or Sean Hannity, what do they do? They bring in guests. They bring in guests because they don't have the talent to do a show like I could do. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. That's terrible. Bad host, bad host. Um, but look, I, I could do a show without guests. But the, my point is, is 
I don't get a lot of political guests because most of the people in politics don't like me. Most of the elected officials, they just don't want to sit down and talk to me because I will hold all their feet to the fire. I don't care if they're Republican. I don't care if they're uh, a Democrat. I don't care if they're Libertarian, if they're if they're an Independent, whatever they call themselves. I don't care about what they identify as. I will hold their feet to the fire because what their job is to do is to represent the people and to do what's best for the American people, and that is not being done. That is not being done. Now, we have a few good Republicans right now, and thank goodness they, they are controlling the House because they're doing what they can do. They're doing what they can do to help the American people because Biden and the Democrats are doing everything they can to hurt the American people. And it's and it's a shame because it's it's the poor, it's the lower class, middle class that gets hurt the most. The very people the Democrats will lie to you and tell you that they help the most, that's the people they're hurting the most. Now, I, I, I just can't stand for it, folks. So... I'm not going to be a sycophant for any political party. We need to hold all their feet to the fire. Feet, feet, feet to the fire. Um, now, so when we're looking at 2024, we know we cannot continue with the authoritarian Democrats of today. The Democrat Party of today is not the party of JFK. It is an authoritarian party today. We can't continue with Joe Biden. We cannot continue with anyone on that side. Not um, because listen, if it's not Joe Biden, it's going to be Newsom. There, the Democrat savior isn't Kamala Harris or some other black Democrat, as they would pretend that they support. No, their savior is the another uber white guy named Gavin Newsom. And you minorities, I'm telling you, my fellow minority voters, when will you wake up? When will you wake up? The Democrat Party is authoritarian and they're lying to you. They don't care about uh, our brown butts or your black butts. <laughs> they don't. Because they're not going to usher in a black candidate to take Joe Biden's place. Their savior is an uber white guy by the name of Gavin Newsom. That ought to piss off every one of you Democrats. It really should. But anyway, the fact of the matter is none of these people are going to help the, 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 the poor. They're not going to help the middle class. They're not going to help the low class. They're not going to help the lower middle. They're not going to help this country. They're not going to fight for the cause of freedom or the cause of liberty. They're not going to stand for the Constitution. So who will? Who will? Well, right now, it's the Republican Party. It's the Republican field. And yes, we have to hold their feet to the fire. But this is the people we've got to vote for. And it's either going to be Donald Trump, it's going to be Ron DeSantis, or it's going to be Nikki Haley. So you've got to decide who you want to support. Listen, I, you guys know I don't have a problem at all with, with Ron DeSantis. I don't have a problem at all with Donald Trump. I will take either one of those. Um, I would even take Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley would be my third choice. But she would be just fine. So understand and hear me well. Because listen, I told you folks, I told you guys um, a month or so ago, to pay attention to the media because the mainstream media, as the worse Biden does, the more they're going to jump on board with Nikki Haley. You're going to see the, the, the national media jump on board and sing the praises of Nikki Haley. It's not because they want Nikki Haley to win. Please understand this. The left doesn't want – the media doesn't want Nikki Haley to win the presidency. They would love her to be the nominee for the Republicans just in case she wins the presidency. And as they see Joe Biden fall further and further into the abyss of the polls and and the likelihood of Joe Biden losing becomes greater and greater and greater every day, the, 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 the establishment Democrats and the media, they don't want Trump and they don't want Ron DeSantis. 
So if they're going to be stuck with somebody, they want somebody from the establishment. They want somebody of the swamp, and that's Nikki Haley. I'm not trying to disparage Nikki Haley. I'm just telling you these are the facts and the truths as I see it. Nikki Haley is of Washington. She is is more along the lines of the Bushes and the McCains than Ron DeSantis is and that Trump is. So if somebody's going to fall in line with the establishment, it's going to be Nikki Haley. If the establishment's going to be able to reach out their tentacles and and guide a candidate for the Republicans, it's going to be Nikki Haley. Now, I don't think Nikki would be, don't under, misunderstand me, she would be way better than any Democrat and way better than most other Republicans. I think she would be all right. But she's still going to be a little more of the establishment. And I think we are too far gone in this country to elect an establishment person right now. We need we need that bull in the China shop. Now, I know there are other radio hosts that will say um, we just want to destroy everything. No, we don't. But we do want somebody that's going to kick some things around in Washington. And we know Trump's going to do it. And we know Ron DeSantis would do it. Um, now, I don't have a problem with either one. So... When we get to the primaries, you support who you want to support, but I'm telling you right now, it's going to be Trump or DeSantis or possibly Nikki Haley, possibly Haley. And I, I honestly, Donald Trump is so far ahead in the polls right now. I don't see how Ron DeSantis can catch up. I don't see how Nikki Haley can catch up, but I'm just telling you the lay of the land and you support who you want to support. Uh, but when we get to that point and a, and a victor is chosen, which is probably going to be Trump, then we got to stand by him. We've got to stand by him because we can't allow Biden to win again. Trump so um, <laughs> Trump could only wish to be a victor. <laughs> so, um, but but this is what's happening, folks. So so I, just you know, work hard for the candidates you want to work hard for. But we've got to come together as Americans. We've got to come together to save this country. If if you really want to help, you know, a lot of you run around out there, especially at this time of the year, and you say you want to help the poor, you want to help the middle class. Well, if you really do, then you got to vote Biden out of office. So you're going to have to come together, whether it's Trump, DeSantis, or Haley. And I'm telling you, folks, if Trump gets the nomination, he's probably – he may not want to. He may, she may not be his first choice. But the likelihood of Nikki Haley becoming vice president is looking really, really, really um, more and more likely. The more I see this, I, I would love to see somebody like uh, um, Christy Nome in um, South Dakota be a contender. But I'm just telling you folks right now, just from the way I know politics and the way my gut is telling me, um, Nikki Haley's probably going to move up to be the number one choice for uh, Trump's VP. Um, uh, yeah, you know, Roger from Locked and Loaded mentions Trump's not a politician. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's going to want to do what the people want. And, and, and right now you wish, you hope he learns from his mistakes. But I'm telling you folks, Trump, he's a smart guy. And he knows he has to pull the establishment in and those voters in, and he'll do it with Nikki Haley. And I now I'm not advocating for for Nikki. I, again, I don't have a problem with her if she wins. I don't have a problem if she's the VP. But if I were giving Trump or Ron DeSantis advice, I would go with someone else. I would go with somebody outside of Washington. I would just absolutely do that. But I understand, and folks, this is where you've got to understand where politics plays a part in this. There are, unfortunately, a lot of bozo Republicans. I shouldn't say that. There are some Republicans out there. <laughs> I should say it probably. There are some Republicans out there who sit in their mighty chair and they say they just can't vote for Trump. 
and they're not going to vote for somebody else that he picks unless it's somebody that's within Washington, and that's going to be Nikki Haley. So, so don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if you see Nikki Haley as the VP pick. So, um, so it's going to be interesting, folks. Listen, it's going to be really interesting. Um, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But, but you got to keep up the good fight. You got to be ready to come together as Americans because this. Saving the country is greater than Trump. It's greater than DeSantis. It's greater than Nikki Haley. We have to come together as Americans. We have to win this country back. Because if you truly want to help the poor, if you truly want to help the downtrodden, if you truly want to help the middle class, if you want to make sure there's a middle class left in this country for the decades to come, then you better get on board with whoever wins, whether it's Trump or Nikki or DeSantis, because we must defeat Joe Biden and his merry band of authoritarian Democrats. All right, folks, stay tuned. Locked and Loaded's up next with Roger B. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.